Hello, everybody, and welcome to Get Lit Minute, your weekly podcast for all things poetic, poetry, and poets. My name is Samuel Curtis, and I'm the head of productions for Get Lit Words Ignite. Get Lit is a nonprofit organization that uses poetry and spoken word to increase literacy and empower young people. In this podcast, we focus on the lives, history, and works of classic poets. All the poets and poems featured on this podcast come from the Gitlet Anthology. We make this podcast in part so that those that memorize, perform, and write original response pieces in schools to the poems featured in our anthology, they can get a better sense of who the people were that wrote these poems, and thereby hopefully find resonance with not only the words themselves, but also their lives as poets. So keep on listening. This is your one-stop shop for poetry, history, and the power of the spoken word. And with that, let's discuss our featured poet today, the poetic mystic Rumi. Rumi, whose full name is Halal al-Din Rumi, also called by the honorific Maulana, was born on September 30th, 1207 in Balkh, which is now in Afghanistan, and he died on December 17th, 1273 in Konya, which is now in Turkey. He was the greatest Sufi mystic and poet in the Persian language, famous for his lyrics and for his didactic epic, Mashnavi Yi Manavi, or his spiritual couplets, which widely influenced mystical thought and literature throughout the Muslim world. After his death, his disciples were organized as the Malawiyah order. Rumi's use of Persian and Arabic in his poetry, in addition to some Turkish and a little bit of Greek, has resulted in his being claimed variously for Turkish literature and Persian literature, a reflection of the strength of his influence in Iran and Turkey. The influence of his writings in the Indian subcontinent is also substantial. By the end of the 20th century, his popularity had become a global phenomenon, with his poetry achieving a wide circulation in Western Europe and the United States. And there's something about engaging in art from another culture that is really important, in my opinion, to becoming a world citizen. I really feel that art captures the subtleties and nuances of a culture that sometimes pure history or current news just can't. One of my loves is foreign films, and I feel I've been able to travel the world and time itself through watching these movies from different parts of the world. So it's with great pleasure to do this episode and focus on a part of the world that we don't often look into. Rumi's father, Bahal al-Din Walad, was a noted mystical theologian, author, and teacher. Because of either a dispute with the ruler or the threat of the approaching Mongols, Bahal al-Din and his family left their native town of Balkh in about 1218. According to a legend in Nishapur, Iran, the family met Farid al-Din Attar, a Persian mystical poet who blessed young Rumi. After a pilgrimage to Mecca and journeys through the Middle East, Rumi's father and his family reached Anatolia, or Rum, hence Rumi's surname, Halal al-Din Rumi. This was a region that enjoyed peace and prosperity under the rule of the Turkish Seljuk dynasty. After a short stay at Laranda, Rumi's mother died and his first son was born. They were called to the capital, Konya, in 1228. Here, Rumi's father taught at one of the numerous religious schools, and after his death in 1231, he was succeeded in this capacity by his son. A year later, one of Rumi's father's formal disciples arrived in Konya and acquainted Rumi more deeply with some mystical theories that had developed in Iran. His name was Burhan al-Din, who contributed considerably to Rumi's spiritual formation, but left Konya in about 1240. During this time, Rumi is said to have undertaken one or two journeys to Syria. 
The decisive moment in Rumi's life occurred on November 30th, 1244, when in the streets of Konya he met the wandering dervish, the holy man, Shams al-Din, son of religion of Tabriz, whom he may have first encountered in Syria. Shams al-Din cannot be connected with any of the traditional mystical fraternities. His overwhelming personality, however, revealed to Rumi the mysteries of divine majesty and beauty. For months, the two mystics lived closely together, and Rumi neglected his disciples and his family, so that his scandalized entourage forced Shams to leave town in February of 1246. Rumi was heartbroken, and his eldest son, Sultan Walad, eventually brought Shams back from Syria. The family, however, cannot tolerate the close relation of Rumi with Shams, and one night in 1247, Shams disappeared forever. In the 20th century, it was established that Shams was indeed murdered, not without the knowledge of Rumi's sons, who hurriedly buried him close to a well that is still in Konya. So we got this mentor-mentee relationship going on with Rumi and Shams. I know for me, having that connection with someone who had gone before me was of great importance. I had a mentor when I was in high school who taught me how to play jazz piano. And I was so thankful for our lessons because they were more than just learning the techniques. Often we would discuss life itself and I would find deeper purpose and meaning in my art. This back and forth dialogue between teacher and student, mentor and mentee, or the muse and the inspired, it goes back to ancient times. It's often that through conversing with another that we are able to dive deeper into our own art, to see the world a new way through another. So I encourage you all to find a mentor in a teacher or with one of the teaching artists at Get Lit or in someone respected from your community who you believe can show you the way in life, in profession, or in art. There's also this idea of the five-minute mentor. You don't need to have this epic mentorship like Rumi had with Shams, which many would think is kind of extreme to some degree. So if you're unable to sustain a long-term mentorship, find those opportunities, those little five-minute mentorships, just in brief conversation. You know, often those small moments can make all the difference. I know for me they did. So after Shams' disappearance, there was this experience of love, longing, and loss, which turned Rumi into a poet. This complete identification is expressed by his inserting the name of Shams instead of his own pen name at the end of most of his lyrical poems. Like I said earlier, kind of extreme. But this book of poems, the Devani Shams, the collected poetry of Shams, is a true translation of his experience into poetry. Its language, however, never becomes lost in lofty spiritual heights or nebulous speculation. The fresh language, propelled by its strong rhythms, sometimes assumes forms close to popular verses. There would seem to be cause for the belief expressed by chroniclers that much of this poetry was composed in a state of ecstasy, induced by the music of the flute or the drum, the hammering of the goldsmiths, or the sound of the water mill, where Rumi used to go with his disciples to enjoy nature. He found in nature the reflection of the radiant beauty of the sun of religion, and felt flowers and birds partaking in his love. He often accompanies his verses by a whirling dance, and many of his poems were composed to be sung in Sufi musical gatherings. There are many ways to be inspired in your poetry, some through lived experiences, relationships, reflections on life, and also there is this potential for a spiritual connection that many poets take on, this connection with the divine, this allowing the spirit of the universe to enter through your heart and soul. 
this understanding of an all-encompassing higher power that differs from poet to poet, but nonetheless kind of infiltrates its way into your poetry. Um, So there's just many ways to be inspired. For Rumi, it was this deep mystical, this trance, this spiritual connection. And if you read his poetry, you can really see it has this, I don't know how else to explain it, but a spiritual connection. So, you know, in Gitlet Minute, we like to see, you know, many poets take inspiration from their lives. Some take inspiration from the great ether of the universe. A few years after Shams al-Din's death, Rumi experienced a similar rapture in his acquaintance with an illiterate goldsmith, Salah al-Din Zarku. It is said that one day, hearing the sound of a hammer in front of Salah al-Din's shop in the bazaar of Konya, Rumi began his dance. The shop owner had long been one of Rumi's closest and most loyal disciples, and his daughter became the wife of Rumi's eldest son. This love, again, inspired Rumi to write poetry. So Rumi lived for a short while after completing the Mashnavi, and he always remained a respected member of Konya society, and his company was sought by the leading officials as well as by Christian monks. His burial procession, according to one of Rumi's contemporaries, was attended by a vast crowd of people of many faiths and nationalities. His mausoleum, the Green Dome, is today a museum in Konya, It is still a place of pilgrimage, primarily for Turkish Muslims. Besides his poetry, Rumi left a small collection of occasional talks, as they were noted down by his friends, in the collection known as Fihi Mafihi. There is in it what is in it. The main ideas of his poetry recur here. There also exist sermons and a collection of letters directed to different persons. It is impossible to systematize his ideas, which at times contradict each other, and changes in the use of symbols often puzzle the reader. His poetry is a most human expression of mystical experience, in which readers can find their own favorite ideas and feelings, from enthusiastic flights into the heavens to matter-of-fact descriptions of daily life. We're going to close out this episode with the poem, The Breeze at Dawn. And I wanted to close out the episode with a little motivational thought that can be taken from this poem. Right now is an opportunity, which is really available to us at any moment, to recognize that we may be starting this moment off from a place of autopilot, falling into the same old habitual styles of thinking and behaving that we really want to change. This might mean engaging in habits that don't serve our health and well-being, or with habitual ways of thinking, an example, you know, that negative self-talk. So in this poem, Rumi reminds us that the breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. This reminds us that right from the morning time, we can break out of our habitual tendencies and become present. We don't need to fall back into the same old, same old. So I ask you before we close out this episode, what is it that you really want? Remind yourself of it and don't go back to sleep. The Breeze at Dawn by Rumi, translated by Coleman Barks. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. Thank you all so much for listening. That is another episode of Gitlet Minute. 
please rate our podcast, leave us a review. It really means a lot to us. We'd love to hear what you think about this series, um, how we can make it better, and share this podcast with your friends. We look forward to seeing you next week. And until then, read or write some poems that inspire you. Thank you all so much. Bye-bye.